Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I'm still in love with comedy. That's why I want to still go see fun. I mean, like, you know, I did Ari Shafir's Storyteller Show last night, renamed Storytelling Show, and uh, I was so excited to watch everybody do that show. I was, I because I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's like, there's two ways to look at these things. You either are like, you're either here just to be here and to get whatever you need done to service just you, or you come here to really like soak it up and enjoy this shit and go watch people and go to the bar late and have fun and talk shit and meet people and joke around and eat late night meals. And you either are here to like really be in it or you're here just for something self-serving. And I'm really, I want to be in it. Like I want to go do it. I want to be, you know, when they're like, will you come do these things for just for last and go do these interviews for them? And like, I'll do it. I fine. I'll, I'll go do it. You know what I mean? I'd rather do this and then go eat and go hang out somewhere. But like, I'll just, if I'm here, I'm here. I'm here to be in it. Like you might as well. I still love comedy. That's all. Like I still love it. I think it's once you lose it, you're you're dead. You gotta quit or like you gotta move, move to Anchorage, <laughs> and fish. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Great to be back. Great to be in it. Great to not have hiccups, which I had for eight straight days. Finally got cured early this morning at St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica. Big shout out to them. They figured it out. I went to four different urgent cares or hospitals and no one could figure it out. But they cracked the code and I'm very, very grateful to them. And I'm grateful to you guys for all your support. Got a lot of notes electronically. And thank you for cheering me up and rooting for me to get better. I really, really appreciate it. As you can tell, my voice is not where it should be, but hopefully it'll get there. And even when it gets there, as you know, it's never there, but you put up with it. And I am thankful to all of you for listening. And those of you for the first time, thanks for coming. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do, and hopefully we do. You're in for a treat today because we got a great episode live from Montreal with 
actor, comedian, and all-around amazing talent, Andrew Santino. And before I get started, I want to let you know you can reach me at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter or on my website at BarryKatz.com or anywhere you can find my social media. Please subscribe wherever you are, whether it be the podcast or anything else. It helps, and I really appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here we go. Andrew Santino was born on October 16, 1983 in Illinois. He moved from Chicago to Los Angeles for pursuing a career in comedy. He began his career doing everything under the sun at the lowest level in the offices of Jason Goldberg and Ashton Kutcher on their groundbreaking show, Punked, eventually writing and starring on MTV's final season of that show. Andrew is an actor and producer known for the disaster artist Mixology and the Showtime critically acclaimed series from Jim Carrey, I'm Dying Up Here. He also played recurring characters in the NBC drama This Is Us and a producer of the fictional sitcom The Manny. He then worked in movies and TV series like Henry Poole is Here, Sin City Saints, How I Met Your Dad, Trilogy, HBO's Family Tree, Adult Swim's Children's Hospital, NBC's The Office, and Netflix's Arrested Development. His first one-hour comedy special released in 2018, entitled Andrew Santino Home Field Advantage, aired on Showtime as one of the top comedy specials of the year. You can catch Andrew this year in the upcoming movie Friendsgiving. Please welcome... Named one of Comedy Central's top 10 comics to watch. What an honor. Live from Montreal, Canada, just for Laughs Festival. Andrew Santino. That's me, baby. I feel like every time I come here, I say yes to a lot of things, and I want to do half of them. So and this I'm is one, one of the ones yeah. you don't want to do. No, this is the one I do want to do. I was excited to come up here. I got prepped and primed. Do I look cute? You look really I, good. I got, I got cute. You're for this a very good-looking redheaded man, which yeah. is very unusual in the yeah. world. There's like four of us. <laughs> I think it's me, Robert Redford, uh, and the others are dead. <laughs> no, no. Other. Actually, it's funny because there's so many beautiful redheaded women in the business. Like there's so many, but there's literally no good-looking redheaded guys at all. I'm not saying I'm good-looking. I'm saying then better than most. No, you are good. -looking. When I see those guys, I'm like, dude, I'm a supermodel compared to these men. Are you attracted to redheads? I've never dated a redheaded girl. I've slept with one redheaded girl when I was in college because it's kind of against the law. It's like redheaded law. We're not allowed to sleep together. It's really weird. Like we don't like it. We do this weird thing where we're like really, you know, like off put by each other. And so we just don't, there is no like, I, I can't explain it. Like we just kind of inherently don't have any attraction to one another. We like dislike that each other's out in the same room. Do you know what I mean? Do you like being a two percenter? Yeah, I do actually. It's wonderful. I'm the real minority in America. All these other people talk about being minorities. I'm the true last great dinosaur. I think we're the smallest population of people on earth. No one's smaller than us. Two percent. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. I know all my Jewish friends are like, there's so, many, there's so less of us, you know? And it's like, mm, you know, we're the real, we're the real minority. Unless there's a Holocaust for redheads. <sighs> yeah, there was, there was actually. Do you not know about this? No. No, it's not true. I was going <laughs> to... <laughs> the potato famine was the Holocaust for redheaded people and then, and then it all worked out. Why do you think it is that there are 
from the traditional standpoint, because you even made a joke about it, why there are so few good-looking redheaded men, but mm. there's gorgeous redheaded women. Why do you think that is? I don't know. You know what's so funny? There's a girl on Instagram that I was looking at the other day. <laughs> She's a redheaded girl. And I was like, I'm supposed to be against this. Like, I shouldn't be into this girl because she has red hair. But she was so beautiful. I think the redheaded dude... Th I think the reason that redheaded people in general have are quite unattractive is it's a mutant gene, right? So you have a, you have a mutated gene. I know there's a lot of jokes here, but for the audience... I think a lot of them don't know that the redheaded gene is a mutated gene. It is. So could you explain that to the yeah, audience? Yeah, it's, it's a, we are a, uh, this is technically, it's it's not supposed to happen. Like ge like genetically, it's a complete accident, right? And then you hear all this stuff when people are like, oh, it's a, it's re it's recessive, or does your mom have it on, is your dad's side? Who's redheaded? I was asking a doctor friend one time, a doctor friend, that's so funny. I asked a doctor buddy and he told me... Was uh, he wearing a glove at he, the time? He always wears this, the smock, doc okay. smock yeah. all around. Um, and now he works at Arby's. But he, <laughs> but uh, no, he was telling me that it's comp it's totally, totally random and on accident. Like it, it, there is no... That, that thing's a lie where it's like you have a better percentage chance if the mother's side has red hair or whatever, whatever. It's like the odds are increased a little bit better depending on, you know, who's in your background of who has red hair. But for the most part, it's just, it's, it's the genetic dice, man. You're rolling the dice. There, it's, you have better odds if it's in your family somewhere, of course, but it doesn't mean you're going to get it. I have, my mother's one of 10 kids. I have 27, I don't even know, you know, too many cousins. And there's like two of us with red hair. That's it. I'm, the, I'm like the one. The other one doesn't even really have, it's like Auburn. It's like, I'm the only one that has orange hair, like truly orange. When you talk about odds, the first time I met you, do you remember where it was? Hmm... Let me think. It wasn't with... Was it Gold... Did I meet you through Goldberg? Yes. Yes. I met you. You were in a cubicle answering phones. Yes. For a guy who walked through the hallways and literally as he walked by, you felt like your hopes and dreams were crashing yes. by because he yes. had that thing where he walked by and the hair on the back of your neck stood up. Yeah. You wondered, is he coming by to fire me? Am I... Uh -huh. The guy never let you know where you stand, no. but like a parent away from you when the doors close, I'd be meeting with him and the doors would close and that's a bad sound effect. And he would, and we'd say, have you met Santino? Yeah. I said, Santino, what? I don't know. Andrew said, you got to meet this guy. He's brilliant. He's talented. Uh, he's working the phones now for me, but this kid's going to be a big star. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. I did. I did almost everything for those guys, man. When I that that whole thing, Jason Goldberg, who yes, uh, for, produced yeah, and created Punk punked. with Ashton Kusher. When I actually the the, the story as the story goes, the craziest part about the whole thing was my roommate was dating a girl, who now uh, I won't talk and say names, but she does very well in the business. Like she's she does extremely well. And at the time, on which side of the camera? Uh, not on behind it, produ producer. Um, and at the time, she was working as an assistant to this this manager and this manager was um had sold a show to comedy central with this guy named al Shear, who did the first season of punked and um they sold this show for comedy central they couldn't find a writer and comedy central gave them this list of people they loved and they didn't like any of them and she says you know this guy i'm dating lives with this really funny comedian you should try him he's young he'd probably be cheap like he has almost no experience trying so i got a phone call to meet Jason and uh, the, he was like, hey, you need to come in tomorrow morning with like 10 bits written by like 8 a.m. 
go write me funny like sketches or sketch pranks for this guy. It's like an amalgamation of punk and sketch and da 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 da. And so I spit up all night long and I wrote all these bits. I brought in the next day. Half of them were absolute trash and half were kind of funny. And he was like, oh, I like you. What are you up to right now? I was like, nothing. <laughs> what am I, you know what I mean? I have nothing going on. He was like, you should come help me with this show. So that was like my first introduction with him. And, and I just stuck around with them. I just did whatever they wanted me to do, working on so many different things. Now, you're working behind the scenes, mm-hmm. doing anything they want you to yeah, do. Yeah, we were doing I mean, you everything. Were, you were writing things and you were getting coffee for people. Yeah, we did. I did. I, I did literally everything. I was like a that office was kind of like it was like a like a chaotic think tank of nonsense. Like there 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 was there was, rank, there was like obvious rankings, but mine I was lost in the abyss of like uh, there was no title. I got a little baby paycheck and I was just there for help. It was it was the ambiguity was kind of nice though because it didn't really it, I didn't really care. I was like I just want to figure all this all this out and then we'll find out where I land. You know, success, it always comes in different ways. Like I've been around a lot of producers. I've been around a lot of productions. I've seen how different productions work. Yeah. Jason Goldberg is a guy who I would like to think he's like a tortured genius or a tortured soul of some nature because there doesn't seem to ever be any structure whatsoever no. to anything. The only structure that it is is this crazy blueprint in his brain that he can't show fully to anybody. So right. it comes out in waves where he's like, okay, Andrew, this is what I've got to do. This is what's happening here, whatever. And you're like, is this written down somewhere? No. No, yeah, you I, have to do it. <laughs> and so... He's an amazing guy, and the things that he touches are successful. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, I mean, that was a good, that was my introduction to the business for real. Like that was my, and oddly enough, that was so many stand-ups introduction to the business. I mean, Whitney was on Whitney Cummings Punk'd. did the Rock thing where the, yeah. the trailer exploded. I yeah, I was, oh yeah, I was managing her at the time. There was a ton of comics that came through that, you know, that are alumni of that show. And it's kind of weird. It was just like. It was it was it was really happenstance for me. I that was never something that I was like setting out to do. Like, I just wanted to do stand up, and and then that kind of just. But you weren't doing stand up when you were in the pit, were you? Well, I was doing stand up at night. Yeah, I mean, I was open micing and stuff. Yeah. You know, I was doing like baby shows and yeah, I wasn't by any means. I wasn't really doing doing anything. I mean, I was at that time. You're just scrounging. Also, at that time, the comedy store wasn't the comedy store. Well, you were also doing the door at the comedy store were you well no doorman no you know what's so funny is i never actually got the job to work at the store i wanted to work at the store i thought i saw you one time no well i mean i I, next to the door well i hung out every night i mean i I hung out every single night i always and i wear comedy store t-shirts still today uh but i just like i I love that place but it was what people know of the comedy store today is not what it was in 2007 and 8 it was remarkably different. Yeah, 2007, they, for the audience, everything's cyclical. And yes. It's crazy. When a comedy establishment declines, there's ups and downs in towns. Yeah. And certain comedy clubs go through resurrections. You know, when, you know, when Dane Cook was at the Laugh Factory every night, the Laugh Factory was the place to be. But the improv, there were times when in the past, 15 years where Drew Carey and people like that had their own shows that they would do and then you'd go there and it'd be like wow this is incredible yeah 
And the comedy store, obviously the heyday of the comedy store was 35 years ago or whatever. But, but during the time, it was a dark time at the comedy store you're talking about because Mitzi was sort of losing her attention to the club and the sons were making the transition, really didn't know how to, to handle it. They had a guy booking it named Tommy, who was like a son to Mitzi, mm-hmm. and he had his way of doing things, but he wasn't, if he didn't create a good relationship, it was like, okay, you can leave, it's okay, I got more people to back up. But it was a time when the internet was coming into play in a big way, and a lot of people didn't understand what you had to do to make something special. Yeah. And so this is the amazing thing about Comedy Store. When you were meeting with Jason and you're in the office, you're doing everything for him. And then one day he says, tell me a story or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Tell me something Mm -hmm. about yourself. And then you tell a great story. And he's like, hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to use you on uh, this season of Punked. Right. And you want to say to him, your dark side wants to say to him, I've never done that before. Yeah. I've never been yeah. in front of a camera. That's not my thing. But you don't say that. You're like, okay, I'm going to do this and this is my Yeah, you say rip. yes. <laughs> yeah. You always say yes. Yeah, sure. So the comedy store, here they're at the darkest place. They're at the place where it's like at the lowest point in time yeah. in that situation. Yeah. They had a guy working there for 10 years who knew every in and out of what the comedians did or whatever. And so they want to go to the next level and they hire a guy, Adam, Mm -hmm. who never booked a show really or a comedy club or any semblance of something like that. Well, he was working out in Phoenix, right? Didn't he? He was working at the improv in Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But talent-wise, I think that was his first talent coordinator job. Yeah, so never did that before. Right. And goes in and he understands, okay, this job is about relationships. Let me figure out the people who aren't coming here anymore. And these people have a great following too. If I bring them back, the rest will follow. Right. And brought back Rogan and a bunch of the other people. And here's a guy who never did it before. Right. And now the club is insane. You go there, all three rooms are operating, but it's cyclical. And we all know this and we all know that that's not going to last forever. And they're going to be at the second club and the third club. And then another club is going to start doing better. And that's the way it works. It's always going to be that way. It's always going to keep changing. I mean, I like the, the, the comedy bubble that's happening now, the comedy, you know, surge, whatever you want to call it. It's, 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 it's incredible. I'm excited about it, but there is also that looming feeling in every comics head. That's like, this is getting big. When, like, is this going to keep going like this? How, how, how can you sustain it? You know, like that's the biggest worry I think that all comics think about Netflix, given $70 million to Eddie, you know, 150 million for rock and Chappelle's specials. And it's like, at some point you're like, what, what, this is, is this, this is becoming so big. Is it getting bigger than itself? You know, like is comedy comedy right now has become bigger than I've ever seen it when I've been alive, but it's also getting so big that it's like meta now. Like comedy is, on the tip of everybody's tongue and everybody stand up is seemingly the thing that like everybody is in love with again. And I think it's a great thing, but I'm not going to lie that I'm fucking worried (laughs) that I'm like, this is this, it's like almost so popular. It's crazy. And what podcast has done for stand up is incredible. Like I, 
it, it I, I never thought that it would ever be like that that you could cultivate an entire audience based on a podcast yeah. who really want to see you live look bad at, look at bird kreischer if you yeah. if bird kreischer were sitting here he would he say, wouldn't fit on this couch but go ahead <laughs> <laughs> he would say can't book a television job can't book a film job i don't have a radio gig I have a podcast and I sell out everywhere. He sells out everywhere he goes. Yeah. I mean, Rogan was kind of the proponent for him to stop doing television. Because I think he had told Joe that he was miserable and Rogan was like, get the get off of that travel thing. He was like, yeah, but I got family to feed. You know, and he's like, focus solely on what you're the best at. And he's like, you're the best at entertaining on a podcast and doing stand-up. He's like, this other thing may pay you good money, but it's not what you're the best at. And that's, you know, not verbatim, obviously, but in so many words... And I think he heeded the advice. And when Bert went in full bore to to the podcast and to the community, I just it just it changed everything for him. Like I think that was when he really dove in. It became obvious that that was his road, and he was so good at podcasts because storytelling is his nature anyway. You know, and him and Segura, um, his secret lover. They, I mean, they're so good <laughs> together. And now they have a show. It's just kind of like that world has. It, 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 it's, it's really shown that like comedy fans, comedy fans are, they're there. They just, they just need to be reached. You know what I mean? Like for a long time, it's like, go see someone live and, or, or see them maybe on TV. But now it's like, you can get a piece of them every week or every other day, however long, you know, how, you know, Rogan does one every hour. It feels like <laughs> it's like, but now you can really have a reach to these people again and be connected to them. I think it's, I think it's incredible. I've, I've cultivated a whole new audience from doing my podcast and it's been unbelievable because you're like oh shit these fans are out there they just don't they don't they don't really have access to you as a comedian unless they see you do television or you come to their town but so now with this it bridges that gap you know it's so much easier for them to be like i can listen to you every thursday and they thank you for it you know it's crazy you always had this energy about you i hope you don't mind me talking about i'm not this. on cocaine <laughs> everybody asks no no i don't mind you asking go whatever it is you kind of like the darkness oh yeah yes and in this world of comedy, there's normally darkness or light. Mm -hmm. But you're the kind of guy who I feel has this the good and evil battling it out inside you. 100%. And that's what makes you great. Yeah, I think I've always struggled with like a... You know, like I, I am naturally... A, like we talked... To, I did. I, I was on Norton's show yesterday and we were talk, they were talking about... Sam was like... Jim Norton and Sam yeah, Roberts. Yeah, and Sam Roberts. And Sam was like, you kind of have this natural angry energy to you. But like when you know me, I'm not an angry guy. Like I'm not a mean angry guy, but I do have this kind of like aggressive aggro thing bouncing inside of me all the time that does have a little bit of anger. And that's got to deal. That just, that's just how, you know, how I was raised and the people I was raised around or the lack of their parenting. Um, <laughs> shout out to my parents. Uh, but I just think like that, that anger, that's, that it kind of fuels my the goofy side of me too. So yes, I do think there's a big duality in my, you know, like I, I've been doing, I'm doing, I'm doing this whole big chunk on death and, um, and it's, it's just so, it's funny cause it's, re it's really dark, but it's, but it's true and honest, you know, and it's just, it's what I'm, what I've been thinking about lately. And, you know, like I'm wearing, you know, wearing a Brody shirt and I, t I was talking about suicide in the bit. Brody Stevens. Yeah. Who's no longer with us. And, it's just like, I, I feel like I have to touch on the things that are, that are pretty uncomfortable because it's the only way that I, that I like to talk about them. I was like, I gotta, I have to talk about some of this stuff that's so fucked up 
that happens in my that happened to me or has happened in my life is this the only way for me to kind of therapeutically get through it i guess otherwise it just really gets me sad so it's either me get depressed or i talk about it and i try to mesh this world of like anger and aggression with goofy crazy absurd hey it's just a joke you know but i but i'm but i'm quick to go dark like i it's what i it's what i love like dark humor is probably my favorite i don't i don't I never was like a, you know, if you put in front of me like, you know, I'm, I didn't want to call out comics, so I won't do that. But I was just going to say, like, comparatively, there's the people that I tend to gravitate towards are always have a dark, twisted sense of humor. I've always loved that. I, I can't explain why. It was just like it was it was wrong, but it was right type of thing, you know? What created the darkness inside you? If you had this pinpoint one thing. Probably... Um, I mean, like, honestly, a therapist would tell you it's, it's probably because my father. So my dad was, my dad uh, was never around. I had a wonderful stepfather who came into my life, but my dad was in, got in, went in, was in drugs. He went to jail a bunch. And so like, that's all, that's what I knew of my father's chaotic side of the family. So it created this kind of little baby monster inside of me, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of chaos from his side of the family. And then my mom's side of the family was the polar opposite. So it ha- I had this like good balance. That duality you're talking about came from those worlds. I was interested in who he was and the way he was and why he was the way he was and why he wasn't that great of a father when I was a kid. So I guess it kind of fueled this like my scope of the world kind of comes from that. Uh, that's why I have a lot of like tough it out, shut the fuck up, big deal, so what, too bad inside of me because it's like you just have to figure it out. My mother figured it out when she was a single mother. Um not knowing how she was going to get through. And so, you know, I think that's, that fuels you as a kid, whether you know it or not, you're imposing that on your child of like, well, you just have to do it. You know, like I've always said, like my mom is not, my mom isn't cold, but she's tough. You know, like she has love. She's so loving, but she's tough. Like my mom is a tough ass bitch. Like there isn't one piece of my mom that's like push over, roll over. You know what I mean? So that I took a lot of that fuel from what I saw as a kid and it, and it just, it gave me this perspective on the world that, you know, for some reason people like sometimes. So it, I, like if I was going to pinpoint it, I would say like the, the relationship or the lack thereof that, that my biological father and my mother had was kind of what made me see the world the way I see the world for good or bad, you know, but you know, f- from my standpoint, the humor comes from laughing at the, the things that you can't control. Like my grandfather never had my grandfather was a firefighter he raised 10 kids you know what I mean on a firefighter salary it's like they didn't have any money and so everything was a joke to my grandfather he was my influence to get into comedy he was one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life and he was brash like sometimes he you know like he would make fun of rich because he was so poor you know it'd be like yeah you know why you know fancy restaurants are dark because they don't want you to see the food you know it's not that good it's not as good as you think it is it was like that kind of mentality that I always thought was like really endearing because it was like the guy's guy, <clears throat> like the man's man, you know, like he, and he always had this kind of dark twisted sense of the world because, you know, I think you have to, when you come from a generation that doesn't have anything, like he would see an overweight guy and rudely he would say like under his breath to us, he'd be like, Oh, he's no stranger to a fork. You know, it's just like <laughs> stuff like that. It was, it was mean, but it was funny because it was just real. And he wasn't like, he didn't try to hurt, he wasn't trying to hurt people's feelings, but he would say it to us. And that's kind of, I think that's where a lot of that comes from for me. 
of like it's just a joke it doesn't it, it's 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 small and it's not meant to hurt anybody it's just we we just we have to joke about these things so that's probably where it comes from is like the my, my the chaos of my family growing up hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. What do you feel it is about your circle? that you work with mm -hmm. that's unusual like who's your pack um my pack is like uh delia who's a crystalia um, crystalia one of my oldest friends and brent morin fahim anwar uh we're on this massive text theo vaughn we're on this big text chain <laughs> and if it got out 
Like if it got out, it would it would it would bury all of us. The stuff you say on the it's chain. so fucked up. It's so inappropriate and fucked up. That's the common denominator that all of us are fucked up. We all have such a we have the same kind of humor, whether you see it on stage or not. But in that text, we all are on the same page and we love shitting on each other. Usually we gang up on one guy. Usually every week or so somebody gets ganged up on. And that's just part of the fun of being in that group. Comics are relentless and ruthless about nonsense. If you make one mistake, they're going to tell you about it. So the text chain Mm -hmm. for comedians, I've never talked about this because comedian groups, they have a text chain. Most of them do. Now, the text chain has to start somewhere. Yes. And so it might start with you and Dalia right. together. And then you add. You add people. Now, at this point in time, when somebody's added, does it have to be a vote when somebody's added? How does it work? <laughs> no, you know what's so funny is ours got done because I think at the beginning of our text stream was because there was a few of us on, indiv- like it would be like me <clears throat> and Dalia and Theo had a text. And then me and Fahim Anwar and um, Morin had Brent Morin had a text and it would be like I was just talking to those guys about that you know we were usually complaining I was like yo you believe this shit I just came back from so <laughs> that was it was just complaining and he was like I just was talking to you know so and so about it and that's these worlds kind of slowly that's how we all created this big massive group text and of course this is funny one day I said um, <laughs> I go here's how Here's how selfish and chaotic and fucked up comics are. I go, I want us to have a guy's dinner. Everyone on this text stream. I go, we should be having dinners like we used to. Because the more successful you get, the less you get to see people. And I'll be honest, when you're young, you get to go to the diner at night after the shows and you're all there. But now people have kids and wives and families and they're traveling a lot more. And the more successful you get, the harder it is to kick it and go to that diner at one in the morning. That's why Montreal is great because this is camp. I get to be where I'm at camp. It's incredible. Uh, you know, me and me and Andrew Schultz and those guys, they had shawarma and I had donuts at 4 a.m. Like I'm <laughs> like I'm 14. Like, what am I? I want to be on the toilet all afternoon. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so so I said, we got to have a guy's dinner. We got to have a nice steak dinner. And everyone finally agreed after bitching about the date and the time. And I've got a show and I have to move. We finally got everybody to go. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I could dictate how this dinner is going to go. Who's going to be late? Who's going to complain? Who's going to leave early? Who's not going to pay some, who's not going to chip in to pay. I mean, like you could, you could go down the list and I won't name names of guys that I literally called out. So I had a side text going with a few other guys, like with Dalia and I'd be like, let's take bets on who shows up late. Let's take bets on who doesn't pay, you know, and it, it, like, that's just the relationships that we have of who won shitting on each other. Who won? The bet. Uh, I was right about more. I was right more, but Chris I guess Dalia really uh, lost, but won because he. I, I we made him pay the bill, so I guess like he really lost, <laughs> but he won. I was like, you got to pay, man, because half of these guys can't pay. <laughs> so he ended up paying the whole thing because he knew it was going to get muddy. And Theo, of course, Theo Vaughn, who I love, Theo left early. I knew he was going to leave because I love Theo. He's like, dude, I forgot something at the studio, man. I'm like, we didn't even get food, and he's like, I gotta go. I knew he was going to go. He ordered food, and the moment he ordered it, the woman walked away. And he was like, man, it's taking so long. I was like, dude, you just ordered food. <laughs> we just put in the order. So, you know, like that that click, that group of guys, like 
we'll always have whether or not we run into each other more you know we always kind of have that the text kind of keeps us it's kind of sad but it's it's wonderful that the text keeps us you know together more because we you don't get to see people as much the, the more you're doing the less you see people has anyone been deleted from the text um no well, um, <laughs> new streams have started without somebody or without two people, and they don't know they it. They don't know no, it. No, they don't know it. <laughs> well, they do now, I guess. No, 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 they don't. No, it's just kind of like uh, sometimes there's small pocket text, group text that jump up, but then I usually go to another aside if we need to discuss something very real. Usually it's about the person that's on the text. <laughs> <laughs> usually we're talking shit. About someone on the tech. But we're all good friends. It's just that's, you know, the relationships that you go through of people complaining and bitching and I'm at the store and this is happening and can I, you know, can I, is there any way that somebody knows who's, who, who, who wants a spot at the improv that I can't do? It's, it's just a, like a little community thing. It's our, uh, what is it? What do the suburban moms use? What's that app? What's the, you know, it's like the neighborhood. There's like a neighborhood app or whatever that mom, suburban moms are like going out of town from July 14th. You know, this is like our little neighborhood app for comics. It's like our little like communal communication center to find out who's going to the club tonight or where they are or the out of town or someone's having people over. So it's the best way to keep in touch because that's the one thing that makes me sad about comedy is I just don't see my friends as much as I used to. So when I get an opportunity to come to Montreal, I'm like, yeah. I get to see so many people I don't get to see, especially New York guys that I never see anymore. You know, so that's that's one of those things I I, I get happy to see people because you just it, it's hard. You know, you don't see you just don't get to see people as much. Everybody handles things differently, mm -hmm. obviously, on the text chain. Those people, since you've been on the text chain, mm -hmm. obviously, Delia with the show Whitney probably at the beginning of the text chain started experiencing massive success yeah. then the special and so he might technically be the first one on the chain that passes people oh he's the biggest for sure he's by far the biggest yeah I mean Theo Vaughn's catching up hard Theo's but killing it right now th that's what I wanted to ask you yeah so then you're on the chain and there's one guy who's at the top when the rest of you guys are sort of swimming yeah. in the waters right and then somebody like theo vaughn starts taking off yeah how do you handle things watching how everybody reacts to one person's success and where i was getting at was anybody yeah. deleted from the chain is that there's always somebody in the group that's like fuck man it's not his time I deserve to be in that place. Sure. Yeah. No, none of these guys really, that's funny you say that because none of these guys, we all kind of like, I think everybody on that chain has had a pretty good amount of success. And so Delia, of course, is by far the most successful of my closest friends, but, and, but he's one of the most popular comedians out right now, you know? So like, he's so, he's so big now in our little world that like Eminem texts him, you know, like it's like he did a music video with Eminem. It's like, at some point, it's weird to see your friends get very big, but you it it happens to like everybody in different ways, so you just kind of get used to it. But no one, but everyone in there, everyone in that is really supportive. And there's guys on the stream that, you know, that don't really have super successful careers, but they're still. We've all known each other for so long, you know. Like when you've just been in the in the mud with people for so many years. Um, it's hard to be bitter when you're actually friends. 
It's easy to be bitter about comics when you're young that you don't know. Um, but I will say this. I've talked about this before, like on my podcast and on others. The community in LA right now is stronger than I've ever seen in my entire life. When I first moved to Los Angeles, nobody gave a fuck about you. And you didn't matter. And you needed to, you needed to go away and, and get out of their hair. And nobody cared. Now the support for comics in our community, about like helping each other rise up, is... I don't a beautiful thing and I and I talk to New York guys that are like that's crazy what's going on out there because you all lift each other up you know like Segura and Kreischer and Rogan and me and uh, you know like a, a million more guys like we all are kind of trying to help each other and Theo we're all trying to like push each other up and rise up together and I think a lot of the New York guys are like man that's crazy you guys are doing that so well like it's it's it's, it's something that's it's in the air maybe it's Joe I would like I'd probably put pin it on Joe Rogan, when Rogan came back, he created this community again of like, it's not, it's not me against the world. It's like us against the world. So it's like, we should be doing this together. We should be doing shows and killing shows together and, and bringing all of our audiences together. And you obtain more from his audience and he gets some out of your audience and people that don't know you know him. And I think that became, I think that was the beginning for me of this new wave of what's happening in comedy in Los Angeles. I think Joe is an amazing man. We all have our journeys. My journey with Joe is I started in Boston with him. Right. And when I used to see him, I used to see him killing on stage. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I don't think I ever really rallied around him at that time. I don't think I was as supportive of him as maybe some other people. And as my journey goes, and every year what I see what he does for this profession, to me he's like the Lorne Michaels of the underground community of media and podcasting mm -hmm. and the community and the family that he's brought together and the careers that he's launched because of his support. I mean, there's no one like him in the world and I have so much respect for him. I think what he's doing is incredible. And I think that the influence that he has in what's happening out in the world and personal appearances and people selling out places. Yeah. I mean, I think you can directly trace it to the genesis of whatever relationship he had with that person in the beginning. Totally. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I, look, I give him a lot of credit and I always have, and he's become a good friend. And what well, he, 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 what he does for me and what he, what he's done for me at both, at both like literally and also behind the scenes as far as giving me advice and direction and kind of being like the, my big brother in this game. It's, it's been, you know, it's, I can't, there's, I can't really articulate it well. It's, I, I, I couldn't, I don't know how to thank him enough. And he wouldn't know how to take the thank you. Do you know what I mean? It was just, he does it because he really likes me and we're friends and he, and he also believes in me and he thinks I'm, I'm good. Like he doesn't do it for any self-benefit. It's not for him. He doesn't do any of that shit for him. Almost nothing I see him do for other people has anything to do with him. It wouldn't benefit him. You know, me opening up for him in an arena in San Diego for 12,000 people or 15,000 people, it has nothing to do with him. He wants me to succeed just because he, 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 that, that's enjoyable. He's like, that's going to be great because you deserve the success. I want to give you platforms. And yeah, there are certain comedians that do big shows or even shows at the Wilbur theater in front of 1100 people. 
and they have their opening act and they stay in their dressing room. Mm-hmm. It feels like Joe is the kind of guy who walks out to see how you're doing in San Diego. Oh, he see, yeah, he watches. He watches everybody. Yeah, he stands right next to the stage. He'll stand right there and listen to you. Um, and he doesn't have to, but he does. No, he does it because he loves comedy. I like that. That's like a dying breed too. You know, like uh, I think like you know. I ran into Rath the other night. I went to go Dave see... Dave Rath, yeah, I went to, great oh, manager. He's awesome. I went to go see um, New Faces here and I hadn't been to New Faces since I did New Faces. I hadn't gone, gone to watch anybody because usually when you're here, you're on a million shows. I actually started New Faces here in Montreal when yes. I brought 18 people here about 25 years ago, including Chappelle and Tracy Morgan and Wanda Sykes. And and none of those people have become successful. So <laughs> that's really crazy. You, you, I, get, you got a lot of trash out there. <laughs> and I got five development deals at the time. They let me do it because they didn't think anything was going to happen. But sure. I, I really worked hard to try to get an audience in there. And we got 250 people and got five development deals. And, and I think they were the only five that year. And then the brain trust that just for laughs flew out to LA and they sat down with me and it was this beautiful meeting and we had a great time. They were so supportive. And at the end they said, we'd like to make a request. I said, sure. What is that? They said, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that to us. Don't uh, drown us like that. Uh, but anyway, so anyway, no, yeah, no. So I, I went to new faces and I hadn't seen, I hadn't been since I was a new face because uh, you're busy. Usually I, I just, I usually have say scheduled. And I had a gap between doing my solo show last night. So I was like, I'm going to go over there, especially because there's, there's, a, there's a guy named Matt, Matty Ryan who's out of Chicago that I love who opened for me when I shot my Showtime special. And, I, and he got new faces. And I was like, I have to watch. I want to go watch him. So I went over there to watch. And, and when I ran into Wrath, he was like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I want to I go watch. And he was like, oh, man, that's so good to still love comedy. I was like, yeah, I still love comedy. And, uh, you know, to backtrack, it was just like, that's what I do. I still think about Joe. Like, Joe still loves comedy. Look, I'm not going to lie. I don't go to a lot of shows because you're doing so many shows. But I still do love comedy. I still do want to see people that I'm interested in. You know, I'm not going to watch everybody. But I will watch people that I think I found some interest in. And if I don't know you and if I catch you, uh, you know, I'll watch. I'll watch and, 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 and check it out. But, like, I still do love, I love comedy. And I think that when that dies you're fucked and I think Joe's the kind of guy that like still is in love in love with comedy and I don't think it'll ever die for a guy like that that's why he's so strong in what he does and a lot of people you know I mean, you've seen it a lot of people kind of fall out of love with comedy and it happens and it and it changes their career and their trajectory and their 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 life's changes and and that's okay but like I still, I'm still in love with comedy. That's why I want to still go see fun. I mean, like you know, I did Ari Shafir's storyteller show last night, renamed storytelling show, and uh, I was so excited to watch everybody do that show. I was I because I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's like there's two ways to look at these things. You either are like you're either here just to be here and to get whatever you need done to service just you, or you come here to really like soak it up and enjoy this shit and go watch people and go to the bar late and have fun and talk shit and meet people and joke around and eat late night meals. And you either are here to like really be in it or you're here just for something self-serving. And I'm really, I want to be in it. Like I want to go do it. I want to be, you know, when they're like, will you come do these things for just for laughs and go do these interviews for them? And like, I'll do it. I fine. I'll, I'll go do it. You know what I mean? I'd rather do this and then go eat and go hang out somewhere. But like, I'll just, 
if I'm here, I'm here. I'm here to be in it. Like you might as well. I still love comedy. That's all. Like I still love it. I think once you, you lose it, you're you're dead. So you got to quit or like you got to move, move to Anchorage <laughs> and fish. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. All right, I want to go way, 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 way back. Okay, my conception. So take me back to where you grew up. Mm -hmm. What was the dynamic there economically in the family? What was the personal relationships you had? What went wrong? What went right? So much wrong. And then what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business? I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Um, My, uh, like I had touched on... My mom and my dad got uh, divorced when I was like one or before I was one. Because my dad liked to party. Um, and uh, my mom wanted to be a mom. And she was like, I can't, you know, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I can't have kind of that chaotic lifestyle surrounding my son. So my parents split and I grew up, uh, I grew up on the near north side of Chicago in an area called the Gold Coast, which is, which is like uh, affectionately known what would be as like, you know, Soho in Manhattan. Like, it's really, really nice. Um, but my mother worked for a property management company that owned these apartment buildings. And we grew up in the apartment buildings. We lived in these apartments that their company managed. So I was in three high rises when I was a kid. Like, I was the only kid I ever knew that grew up in a high rise. It was funny. It's like when we moved to the suburbs, people were like, you grew up in high rises? I thought that, I mean, it, but it was what I knew. I thought that was kind of normal. So, I lived in a really, 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 really high-end area of Chicago with my single mom for a while. Um, And we weren't rich. It was just because my mother worked for this company. How old were you when your dad left? Not even one. Okay. Yeah, maybe around one. So my relationship with him as a... It was very odd and skewed and made no sense. Like, I I really didn't know him. It was a lot of coming and going. And a lot of, hey, I'll try to come see you, and that never happened, too. So that was a lot of, like... I think that was a lot of, that fucked me up a little bit as far as like getting promised stuff and then never receiving it, but always relying on your mother. That's why my relationship with her is so strong after all these years of like, I just always could rely on her. But I had to be so independent because of that, that that's why I left and got into, that's why they, my that's why my mom was so supportive and comfortable with me going to California and getting into stand-up, and my whole family, because I've always been that guy. I was like, I'll go do it. I'll go figure it out. I'll go get it done on my own. Um, 
And then my mom and my stepdad and we moved to the western suburbs of Chicago and they had my little sister uh, and there's like an what, eight year, eight and a half year gap between us. So growing up out in the suburbs with her, like I had nothing to do with my sister because there was nothing in common, you know? And as you get older, you create a, a much better relationship. But, you know, for the most part, I was a single kid with my mom and then we moved to the suburbs and our life changed. Like everything was different. Everything was dynamic. You know, it was like we live in this really, you know, like middle to upper middle class neighborhood, great schools. Like, like it was like, it's like, you you know, it's like, it's like perfect. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, what, what is it called? Uh, you know, tiny boxes. You know what I mean? What's that fucking, why can't I think of that? Uh, uh, Stepford shit. Yeah. It's like Stepford shit. It was like that. It was like oh, everything, the suburbs are perfect. Like they're weird. They're like, everything is in order and no, and everyone's lawn is nice. And so that, that was my, that was my, you know, second half of my life in Chicago. Was your mom in a relationship then with new person or she was alone? No, no, no. She, well, when we moved to the suburbs is when she got married to my stepdad. Got yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. We lived in the city until they decided they wanted to have another kid. Now, before that though, was it that kind of moment like in movies where the kid walks into the room and there's a strange guy there? And no, like... no. My mother, was, my mother was really good about whatever she, she honestly must've been so good at it. Cause I, I never really saw, I never really saw her date any guys uh, until she met my stepdad. And then I saw him come around a little bit, but he was a really good dude. Like I really liked him a lot. He was a guy's guy. That's why I liked him. Like he was like, let's throw a ball. I'll teach you how to ride a bike. I'll tell you some, some things you're not supposed to know. You know, like he was just kind of a guy, he was just a man's man. So I immediately liked him a lot. I thought he was a cool ass dude. And I, he liked everything I liked. Like it was like, it was great because I loved basketball and he wanted to play bat. He loved playing basketball and he would take me to the park and play basketball. It was like things like that were like, I thought he was like, you know, the per, the per, the perfect next next up, you know what I mean? And your biological dad, what? in and out of prison, in and out of prison. So we wouldn't really like I, the communication levels were always so skewed with him. You know, like I never really, there was never a consistent moment of talking or seeing him. I would see him every once in a great while, reluctantly. My mother didn't really enjoy that. They didn't really where like each other. Where would you see him? He would pick me up and take take a drive out to where he lived, you know, and go spend time with that side of my family. And it was, uh, my memories of it are kind of foggy just because it was always so chaotic and weird. It was always so strange. It was always very quick. You know, I never spent like, an, I never spent significant amount of time with my father as a kid, ever. A day, maybe two days. Um, and then I would go back to reality with my mom who, you know, always was like supportive of being like, you need to get to know your father, that's fine. But she didn't, you know, she, was, <laughs> she she's not a big fan. Turns out she wasn't a fan of him. But, uh, yeah, I remember, I, like the funniest shit I remember, not funny, but like kind of tragic funny is like, he used to call, when he went to he went to prison again, he would call, and back in the day, he used to collect call from prison. Do you remember, do you, have you ever got a phone call from prison? Do you know yes, anybody? Yeah, yeah and someone used to collect call, and they go, you have a collect call from Cook County Jail, from, and then you say, you say your name, and he goes, to one, accept, press one, you know, to deny, press two, and hang up. And occasionally, my mother didn't want to accept the call. She's like, I'm not, you know, like, you're not, you're not, we're not paying for him to call you. Like he can easily get his life together. And then when he gets out of jail, he can see you type of shit. So because of that, he caught on to that. He would leave messages in the time when he was supposed to leave his name. You know what I mean? 
he was supposed to be like, hey, hey, it's it's uh, it's me, it's dad, pick up, you know? But instead he'd be like, hey, what's up? I just want to say hi and I just want to say I love you. I know I can't talk to you in a while, but and then it would cut off at some point. It was it was funny to me. It was kind of tragic and very sad. But to me, I was like, that's so funny that he figured out that the calls were getting denied. You know what I mean? Because on their end, it says call not accepted. So they don't, I don't know if they know if it's somebody that didn't answer or if somebody said no on the, on their, on the, on the calling end. But yeah, I mean, that was kind of like, you know, that was my window into this world of, uh, of his, of his growing, growing, grew, trying to grow up and become a, become a, you know, a clean man. And he's been sober for a long time now, but as a kid, that's all I really knew that he was going to jail. I didn't, we never talked about why. I would learn in my teen years that it was because of drugs um, and couldn't stay out of trouble. But I didn't know. When I was a kid, I was like, why does he go there? It's like he made mistakes, I guess, or whatever. I was told some, you know, he had, he made a lot of mistakes. And you, and when you make mistakes, you go to jail. So what was your first inspiration to get into this business? My Probably that. <laughs> probably all that fucked up shit. Um, I loved... I always loved stand-up. I loved stand-up so much. I don't know why. Well, where did I first see it yeah. or hear it? Um, I, I remember, well, this is kind of funny. I had a babysitter um, in Chicago. It's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, it's a lot of black, white, and Puerto Rican. I had a Puerto Rican babysitter and who would let me watch like the most foul shit that like I definitely wasn't supposed to watch, you know? Like, like it was so... <laughs> if my mother like I remember even The Exorcist when The Exorcist was out and my mother didn't want me to watch that it was like the first thing she let me see you know what <laughs> I mean like she didn't care she wanted to she was like you need to be able you need to see this stuff and I think that was the first time with her family I was maybe at her family's house at my babysitter's like her parents house when she was taking care of me and uh, that was the first time I had seen stand up they, and they they had, they had watched uh Lopez I'd seen Lopez and I'd seen George Lopez yeah George Lopez and I had seen um, and then I saw I'd, saw, I'd seen Raw I mean I I had I had uh, Eddie Murphy's, Eddie Murphy's Raw. Raw I had, I had not wasn't a, definitely not allowed to watch Raw but I watched it anyway with them everything I wanted to see I could ask Maria I could ask if I could see it with her and she would never say no to literally anything I mean it's really bad but <laughs> but it helped me but I always I, I always had a knack for comedy when I was a kid and I think watching those comics at such a young age I was infatuated with how unique and odd it was it was just so cool I was like it was so cool to make that many people laugh I, I, I couldn't even tell you the exact moment but I just remember being like 10 and being like all I want to do is try to make people laugh like that's all I want to do is try to make humans laugh because whatever was happening watching those specials I can't describe it I was like I need to do that. I want to do that so fucking bad and so, that was kind of like my jump into the world of loving it and then my whole life dude that's all I ever talked about my, my parent and my mom and my stepdad's wedding I told jokes my uncle was like who's this Henny Youngman's up here I, I told I wrote like a bit I wrote like a set and I told jokes at my mom and my stepdad's wedding I sung a song and I told jokes <laughs> I was in a little tuxedo and they probably hated me but yeah I told like I told like three or four jokes that I had written just for, just for their wedding. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. 
I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. My mother says things that annoy me sometimes. She annoys the shit out of me when, like, because my mom, like, she's not cold, but she's just firm. And she always says, um, it's going to be fine. And I hate that phrase. I hate it's going to be fine. I hate it. It's an annoying phrase. But I would grow to learn why she said it all the time. Because she said it's going to be fine whenever I express, like, discontent or upset or anger or I'm scared or I'm afraid I'm not going to pay rent or, like, all these things because she knew I was strong enough as a person to hear it and to let it move me to, to, to try harder and do better. Like it's going to be fine. Not saying like, don't worry about it. Saying like, it will be fine. You just have to get through it. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... 
please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.